Thank you for listening to this sermon from Goodwill Church, located in New York's Hudson Valley. Goodwill Church is on a mission to be a hub of revival in the Northeast and beyond. For more information about our church, please visit goodwillchurch.org. Now, here's the sermon. All right, not an easy thing to do, right? To love others as we love ourselves. I thought I had that. I, I thought I really grabbed a hold of that, but uh, life has such a way of reminding me of the areas in which I need to grow in that sometimes a little embarrassing to even admit. But, um, but there's lots of reasons to celebrate. You know, we just celebrated 4th of July, and rightfully so, and um, I probably had a little bit more ice cream than I should have, but it was a time for celebration and uh, gathered with family and friends as we unite, thanking God for the country that we live in. And I think that um, God celebrates the church in so many ways that sometimes we forget about. I think that, you know, as these two little ones were sitting here um, in such um, simple ways, um, their joy seems to be astounding in everything that happens. And I think as we get older, sometimes our joy can be lessened by the experiences that we face outside, whether it's in relationships or at our job, some things aren't always going well, we don't get the best grade that we want to, or something like that. Some things happen, and it has a way of tearing us down. So this morning, I want to take us through just a few verses from the book of Colossians, chapter 1, verses 1 to 8, and I want us to just look at that and find out the reason that Paul was even writing this letter. Colossae was this little town that was about uh, 120 miles east of Ephesus, Um, and um, it's probably what's known today as modern Turkey. And this little town, this church that was there was founded um, not by Paul, but by a man by the name of Epaphras. Epaphras had gotten arrested and he was sent to Rome and he had sat down with Paul and he said, Paul, listen, there's a lot of good things going on in the church, but man, we also have a problem in which we need help. Now, Epaphras probably uh, was converted during Paul's two-year ministry in Ephesus, somewhere around, I believe it's Acts 16 or 19, forgive me, but I think it's right around there. And Epaphras hears the gospel from Paul, and he takes what he received, and he goes to this town called Colossae, and he shares the truth with what he's, what he's received from Paul. And people's lives were changing. And during this time, uh, again, Paul never went there. He was in Ephesus, but he never went to Colossae. He didn't start the church there. But Epaphras becomes like Paul's lieutenant, his right-hand man. So when there would be a problem, Epaphras would get word back to Paul and say, hey, listen, I need some advice. What do I do? What do I say to this church in lieu of what's going on? And the situation here is that when Epaphras reaches Paul... He's sharing with him, hey, listen, I got a problem. And the problem is that there's this new teaching that's trying to make its way and interweave itself into the church, and it's not what you taught us. It's something really different, Paul, and I don't know how to respond to this, but I need some help. And what was happening was there was these false teachers that were coming into the church 
and trying to steer the church away from the truth that Paul taught. And what happened was there was an Eastern philosophy along with a Jewish legalism. They were thrown into a blender, right? Reminding me of some kind of cake batter. I'm in the mood for pancakes right now. So they were in this blender and out came this big word known as Gnosticism. That's where this thing, that's where Gnosticism was bred from. You take that big 50 cent word and for me to just to break it down in a one or two sentence blue collar language that I need was that Gnosticism, these teachers were coming in and telling the church, hey, listen, by the way, that Jesus Christ, that one that Paul taught you about, him being, you know, completely God and completely human, it's wrong. It can't be. You see, if Jesus came down, if you're saying that God came down in the flesh, the way that Paul taught you, flesh, human flesh and bone is matter, M-A-T-T-E-R, and matter is evil. And if Jesus came down in the flesh as God and he's made of flesh and bone, he must be evil. He can't be what you think he is. So that was just one of the concepts of Gnosticism. Another one was they were trying to teach the church, hey, listen, I hate to be the the bearer of bad news for you, but let me break the truth down to you. That Jesus, uh, the one that, you know, you watched being nailed to that cross, really wasn't him on that cross. It was just a body. You see, when, as he was getting ready to be nailed to that tree, that cross, the spirit of Christ left because he couldn't be crucified. You can't harm God. You can't do that. And therefore, they were teaching that this Jesus that Paul taught really wasn't who Paul said he was. And that was really wrong because if Jesus had not been completely human and died on that cross, our faith would be nothing where it is today. The whole premise of what stands on the cross was that God came down in the flesh and died in the human form as a sacrifice so that me and you would have a chance of going to heaven. So this is all wrong. So Paul knows that he needs to write a letter. And what he's going to do is he's going to write this letter to the Colossi church. And it's not a letter of like um, correction. It's really a letter of encouragement, as we're going to read here momentarily. And he wants to encourage the church because there's a lot of good things going on. And there's a lot of reasons that Paul was celebrating that church. And there's a lot of reasons that we should be celebrating as a church. And I know that sometimes it's easy for us to dwindle down uh, by life circumstances. I'll never forget my kids, right? As they were growing up, I was reminded several weeks ago uh, about my son, Junior, who's in the military right now, is coming home in November. We're so grateful for that. And my daughter, Brianna, who's in Liberty University, she's home for the summer. But I remember when they were really young, and I remember how excited they would get like before Christmas or family vacation. So I remember that it'd be like five days before Christmas and I'd be sleeping. And I'm an early bird. I like to get up at 4 a.m. I love getting up early. But I remember waking up because I sensed something. I like, like, uh, like from Star Wars, I sensed a presence in my bedroom that wasn't normal. And I would just open up my eyes and my daughter would just be staring at me at 3 o'clock in the morning. And I'm like, sweetie, what are you doing? She goes, it's Christmas. 
in five days it's Christmas. It's not Christmas today. She says, but I'm getting ready. Oh, good. That's great. I remember there's other times that I would be so tired coming home from work. And uh, I was not always in the mood for celebrating when I'd come home from work. I'm going to be honest. We had a landscaping company, and it'd be hot, those 90-degree days, and we're working hard and dealing with what we had to deal with. And I'd come in a little grouchy. And, but, but that was like on a Monday or Tuesday. And like that Saturday, we were getting ready to go camping or something up in the Adirondacks. And I remember walking in the door. And I remember seeing my kids sitting on the couch with these little bags, and they were packed, and their feet were just going back and forth. And I'd walk in the door and go, Daddy, we're ready, we're ready. I'm like, ready for what? And they go, we're going on vacation. We're leaving. I said, we're leaving in five days. They said, yeah, but we're getting ready. And I'm like, you know what? I, like, I, like, I, like, I don't, what happened to me over the years? Like, how did I lose that? How did maybe, 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 maybe that's where you're at, maybe you're not. But how do we, we're so joyful. I watch these two little kids and they're smiling and my kids are ready. And I think that's what God is trying to impress upon our hearts. Maybe in a stage or a season in life where we're at right now, where God is saying, hey, I want you to celebrate what I'm celebrating. And God is saying, I'm celebrating you. And I want you to celebrate me. Open up to Colossians, if you would. I want to take us through the first eight verses quickly. And I want to see what is Paul celebrating with this church and what does it mean for us? Where are we to celebrate? So I'll read and then I will pray. Colossians chapter 1, starting in verse 1. <clears throat> Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae. And please always remember where it says faithful brothers. There's also sisters in there, okay? Faithful brothers, sisters in Christ at Colossae. Grace to you and peace from God our Father. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Of this you have heard before in the word of the truth, the gospel, which has come to you as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and increasing as it also does among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth, just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant. He is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the Spirit. Let us pray. Father in heaven, thank you for these words. What do they mean for us? How do we celebrate what Paul wanted this church to celebrate 2,000 years ago? What does that mean for us? And Lord, for those of us that may not feel like celebrating, help us to get there. You know my heart. Father, I'm sorry for the moments that I can become grouchy, but there's so much to be thankful for, and there's so much joy to be expressed through our lives. If we're coming up short with that, help us. Help us to see what you see. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. I found this short couple-sentence paragraph on celebration. I thought it was unique. It writes... Author Leo Biscaglia tells this story about his mother in their misery dinner. It was the night after his father came home 
and said it looked as if he would have to go into bankruptcy because his partner had absconded with their firm's funds. His mother went out and sold jewelry. She wanted to have a feast. She went out and bought all this food with the things that she sold. Other members of the family scolded her for it. Why would you do that? It's wrong. But then she told them, the time for joy is now when we need it most. Not next week. It's now that we need it. Her courageous act rallied the family. I think that's Paul's, the Apostle Paul's premise when he's writing this letter. I think he wants to do the same thing. I think the church is feeling a little down and out. I think that when these false teachers were coming in, they didn't know how to receive that. Uh, again, you got to remember, Christianity is still somewhat new, even by the time that the apostles are dead up to 40, 50 years later, 60 years. Christianity is new compared to Judaism, which they experienced for all those years. And when these teachers were trying to come in and tell them that, hey, that's wrong and what you're thinking, they began to get a little confused. And they were wondering, man, it's, is what we learned, is it really right or is it wrong? And it could have been very easy for them to walk backwards, back into their roots of Judaism. And Paul's like, no, don't do that. Don't do that. Come on. Let's, let's be encouraged by what you've been doing. I think, I think God wants us too, a goodwill church, to say, hey, listen, let's be encouraged by what you've been doing. Right? And, and, and what we're doing is something to be celebrated. So when you look at verses one and two, Paul had never met the people in this church and his encouragement to the church begins in the first few words of his letter. Paul addresses the believers at Colossae to be saints and faithful brothers in Christ. So what they all had in common was that they were God's people, holy people set apart. They were set apart for him by faith in Christ. And Paul had such a heart for these pure people. A miracle had taken place at Colossae. See, when Paul addresses uh, them as being saints, he wants to encourage them and say, hey, listen, no matter what you're going through, these people are going to try to persuade you and try to give you a new teaching, but don't listen to that. I want you to remember what I taught you, the gospel which I received from Christ himself. I was led, after my conversion, I was led into Asia for three years and I received from, from Christ and his spirit. The things that I'm to learn, the things that I'm to take, the things that I'm to give to you, let's celebrate them. So sometimes I think that we need to preach to ourselves in lieu of things that are happening in our lives that we need to be reminded that, that you know what? We are children of God and what we have in common here in this room is that we have been adopted by God into his family. God did that for us. I know that circumstances could bring us down, but we're to lay our eyes on what's pressed for the future and what beauty that God has in store for us. And it's really remarkable to say the least. When you think about Galatians chapter four, Paul reminds the church, as, long as, as well as us, that all of us have been brought together in Christ and we've been given permission to call God Abba, Father. That was a really foreign term to them at first. 
They knew the God of Israel. They knew that God was not a God to mess with. You remember the stories from the Old Testament when God came down and dwelt amongst his people in the ark, and that if the wrong people touched it or the the wrong people looked at it, they were dead immediately. So even when Jesus, when his disciples say, hey, Jesus, how, how do we pray? I mean, how does this work? And Jesus begins that prayer with our Father, Jesus was trying to encourage them. Listen, this is where we've been brought to. That's the relationship with the creator of the world wants to have with you. He set the pace. He's made it possible by the adoption of you unto him that we've been given permission to call this God. Now, if some of my best friends today are uh, Hasidic Jews, when they write the word God, they spell it G hyphen D. They will not even use God and they won't even write the full name out for reverence and awe of who he is. And we should still always be like that. But when God gave permission for us to call him Abba, Father, Dad, God wanted us to realize how special we really are, how privileged we really are. I know sometimes it's not easy to feel that because circumstances have a way of bringing us down, but Paul was celebrating with this church that they were all in Christ. That means as believers, we're all gonna partake in what Christ had done and all the things that he will ever do. We're with him. And as believers in Christ, we along with Paul and the church of Colossae share in the beautiful promise of what Paul had written to the church at Ephesus when he writes this. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Even as he chose, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will to the purpose of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. I I don't even know, I mean, I think maybe some of you have heard me say that before. Like, when God says I've given you every spiritual blessing, I I don't even, I wonder like how many is that? Is there a hundred spiritual blessings? Is there a thousand? Are are there a hundred thousand? Are there a hundred million? A hundred billion? Are there 500 trillion? Like, what does that mean? And to think that these blessings that God has given to us are not even when we get to heaven. God is saying, they're yours now. The moment that you believed, the moment that you submitted to Christ, the moment that you've, you've received and experienced the love that only he can give, every one of these blessings became yours. And God is saying, man, I want you to celebrate that because I am celebrating you. You know, uh, Luke chapter 15 talks about the prodigal son, and at the end of that chapter, it talks about how when one sinner repents, the angels are singing and dancing. That means that when you submitted to Christ, when you believed in your heart and confessed Christ as your savior, and truly believed, that the angels, I, I, what, I, is that 100? Is that 500 quintillion angels singing and dancing, knowing that you and me submitted to Christ? And I, I think that, man, I, need, I know that I need to think about that more often. 
I need to be reminded that God is celebrating me. And that wants me to celebrate him. He cares that much about me and you that he would have every angel sing and dance and shout. Wow, my son and my daughter, today is the day they they have believed. Rejoice. And he commands the angels to celebrate us. Thank you for that, Lord. Verses 3 to 5, Paul celebrates the Colossian church by noting that he is always thanking God, the Father of the Lord Jesus Christ, because of their faith in Christ and of the love that they have for all the brothers and sisters in the church. Right? So when you look at faith in Christ, the church here has a faith in Jesus Christ that has reached Paul's ears all the way to Rome. I know that Philippi was about 800 miles from Rome, 700, 800 miles. Regardless, there's no cell phones, there's no texting, and what the church was doing, uh, the blessing, their faith has reached Paul's ears while he's in prison. And I think when you look at the faith, the church here has a faith in Jesus Christ that has reached Paul's ears, and it's a faith that is very specific. Think about how many times in our lifetime we've heard somebody say, hey man, you just gotta have faith. You gotta have faith in something. Now I know that it's not just faith in itself because faith in itself holds not an ounce of intrinsic value. It's faith in a specific object that Paul is talking about. As I was growing up in the Bronx as a kid, I remember getting into um, numerous cars uh, with the older kids and a lot of them would have these things hanging from the, from the, from the rear view mirror, big fuzzy dice, and I'm like, what is that? Well, it's going to bring me good luck when I, go to the, when I go to Atlantic City. Oh, all right. I didn't even know what it was. I didn't even know if I knew Atlantic City at that time. And, or somebody would have a rabbit's foot hanging. And I'm like, what's that? They go, it's a rabbit's foot. I'm like, well, what does it do? It brings good luck. It wasn't good luck for the rabbit. <laughs> he lost his life to give you that leg. And then um, I come from an um, Italian-Irish background. A lot of the cars uh, had these um, Italian horns hanging, right? And they believed that they were good luck and prosperous. And the girls, I remember all the girls, a lot of the girls in the neighborhood had on these charm bracelets that they would add all these little charms and they believed that it brought good luck and stuff. And that one I couldn't, that one I could understand because the, ro- the, the, the factories that I was robbing at the time, I was getting these things and I was selling those to the girls. So it was very prosperous for me. So it was a blessing for me to sell these bracelets to these girls. But it was wrong. I acknowledge that. But every one of us growing up somehow seems that it's very easy that we can put our faith in a specific thing. What Paul was celebrating was that this church at Colossae was putting their faith in Christ. That's what they put their faith in. It's only faith in Christ that can deliver what we need, and what we need is to be saved from Satan and to to be protected from God's wrath. And that's what faith in Christ does. Sometimes we think that, well, by faith in Christ, God is protecting me from myself. No, there are benefits that come through that, but what we're really being protected from is Satan, and the greater thing the more forceful and powerful thing is that you're being protected from God's wrath that's on its way. So 
Again, true salvation can only come by believing and trusting in Jesus Christ. And the false teachers, they were trying to invade the Colossian church. They tried to persuade the church away from the true gospel and the person and work of Jesus Christ and um, onto a philosophical heresy. I think that's a good word for that. Uh, that promises people a close union if they would believe in their type of method. The false teachers were saying, hey, listen, the only way for you to truly have a true connection with Christ is if you follow our rules. And we can teach you how you can bring your spirit to that place of fullness. You can exercise the way that we tell you to. You can eat the foods that we tell you to do. You can abstain from certain things. And I'm not saying that those things are not a good thing. But if you're going to use those things and try to bring you closer to Christ without complete faith and trusting that the work, the person and work and crucifixion and resurrection of Christ, we have to believe that that was good enough alone. And that alone is what allows us entrance into heaven. There are good things that come out of fasting and giving up and abstaining from certain things. We do that during Lent. There's nothing wrong with those. But don't ever allow those things to be to, um, for us to have some type of um, belief system or, or um, superstitions, uh, thinking that those things alone can bring us to where we need. And it's by faith and faith alone in Christ. So uh, these teachers promised that there would be a fullness to the spiritual life uh, if they, people would enter into the teachings that they had, and it was wrong. So Paul was celebrating that this church had true faith in Christ and true faith refers specifically to the belief that God raised Jesus from the dead and that he offers that to all believers, Jew and Gentile alike, in the same promise of life. And look at the love for others. So this is where the rubber begins to meet uh, the road. What reached Paul's ears was that their faith in Christ caused them to love all the saints. That is not an easy thing to do, right? It's not. And if we can be honest just for a moment, right? Sometimes, even in the church, it's hard to live with each other in our personalities, right? So if we can be honest, chances are that there are going to be some of you in here that may see how beautiful my hair looks or how I sound, and you may just turn and say, you know what? I don't think that I would. You may not even say it in your mind, but you may be thinking, oh, you know what? I just, I don't even ever think I would, I would ever hang out with Pastor Ken or invite him over to our house. And that's okay. We're different. And, and, but, but that doesn't mean that we can't love each other in a beautiful way. We don't, we don't have to hang out all the time. We don't have to be best friends. There, there could be times that we hang out at church functions and things like that, or we could say, you know what, Ugh, Pastor Canada, maybe I'll have a cup of coffee with you around 30 other people. And that's okay too. But I'm noticing that when, what Paul was impressed by this church was that they loved everybody. And there was a miracle that took place. I want you to think about the miracle that took place in your life too, and mine as well. This church, before Epaphras came over and shared the gospel with these people, there was no hope. They had nothing. And by hearing the gospel that Epaphras brought to them, the gospel, the true gospel, they were 
barbarian, they were Scythian, they were Jew, they were Gentile, they were free, they were slave. And because of the message that was brought to them, they were able to sit down at a table and hold hands with one another in lieu of their circumstances or their characteristics and things that maybe they didn't even agree with or like one another, but they could sit at the table and say, you know what, we're one in Christ. And Paul is saying, you better celebrate that because God is celebrating that because he's the one that brought you all together. So there's a beauty in knowing who we are and what's been given to us. Jesus says this in John chapter 13, verses 34 and 35. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. This church is being praised for loving others. True faith in Jesus Christ will always be proven by its reality, by the love that we have for one another. As, as Christians, we're not just united together by our mutual interest in personal salvation, as beautiful as that is. But what unites us together, and it's not even a, a geographical location, what unites us together is that we've been covered by the blood of Jesus, that we have been adopted into his family. Whether you like it or not, me and you are going to live together in heaven forever. We're going to do that. And when we get there, you know what? There'll be no more dislikes. There'll be no more, huh, you know, uh, I don't like the shoes they wear. I don't know how they talk. Do you, oh, do you notice how they eat their food? They make so much noise. Can somebody put some music on, please, right? There'll be none of that. And God knows the way that we're created. And, and God's like, you know what? It's okay for now. It's okay. Uh, and that's the beauty, right? That's the hope that we have in knowing. That's what Paul says. Your faith and your love for others is bound because what's been laid up for you in heaven, he writes. Right? And, and, and that's why I say, man, when, 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 I, when I shared that, that illustration with my kids and, and, and the two young ones that were here, that's the attitude that God wants us to have. And he, God is saying, celebrate me. I'm celebrating you. I want you to celebrate me. And that's what Paul was sharing with this church. He's saying, listen, I know that these false teachers are coming in, but you stay strong. You don't give up. Don't turn back. What you have been taught is truth. And you stand on that truth. And that truth is going to take you to heaven. Don't fall for something else. Please, Paul is saying, don't do that. I'm willing to, I, here I am, and Paul is writing from a prison cell. Let's be reminded of that. And it's not the most comfortable places to be. You know, the beauty here is that, that, that it's not like his first imprisonment. It's most probably his second one where he's writing this letter from Caesar's basement. That's where they got Paul locked up because Paul is a problem. So this is like, you know, high priority prisoner here. But they said, you know what? And this was God's doing. You know what? He's going to have to be chained up to a guard 24 hours a day. Paul's like, man, if I could just use the bathroom by myself, right? He's not allowed that, but he's been granted as many guests as he wants to. So he's chained up to a prisoner, a prison guard, which is basically the imperial guards that we learn about from Philippians. These imperial guards are America's, are the United States CIAs, CIA agents. That's who they are. 
And what's really fascinating is that Paul is writing this letter to the church, trying to encourage them. Paul is stuck in that cell, but his guard is changing rotation all the time. And all these guards are hearing the message that Paul is sharing with all his guests. It's fascinating. And then what's really mind-blowing is that when you get to Philippians chapter 4, I think it's a verse around 23, 27, when Paul writes to the church of Philippi, he says, hey, by the way, we're all sending our love to you, including those of Caesar's household. What? When Paul read that letter, if I was sitting amongst the church, the crowd, I'm poking my person next to me going, I'm telling you it's a lie. It's a lie. Paul's out to get us. I'm telling you, he's turned. I knew it. He was against us. He was persecuting the church. And then all of a sudden we hear about some phony conversion. And now he's telling us that the imperial guards are saying hello and sending love to us. Those imperial guards were being changed by the gospel. They were no longer putting Caesar first. They were putting Christ above Caesar. The power of the gospel has the power to change lives. It's the same for me and you. Before Christ came into our lives, before the Holy Spirit invaded our lives, we had no hope. There was no reason to celebrate. So even though we're faced with all sorts of trials and tribulations, God is saying, come on, I want you to celebrate. Look what's laid up for you. And what's laid up for you is what I sent my son into the world to tell you about. When, by the way, we mentioned it in John chapter 14, God is saying, when Jesus said, I'm going to prepare a place for you, we don't want heaven to be in existence without you. It's not as if God needs us for anything. But God didn't want to have heaven without us. He created this beautiful place for us. And Jesus said, I'm creating. There are mansions, many of them, for you. Mine is going to be filled with ice cream, with no freezer. I don't know how this sounds. But, but, but there's mansions that were created for us. I want to land this plane with a couple things I really am hoping that we remember. The love that we have inside of us from Christ is a force within us that's to be set free from us. And what I mean by that is that when the Holy Spirit invaded your lives, we now became a temple for God to dwell. And in and through this temple, there's a power that God demands that we not lock up like a straitjacket, but rather that it's released from us onto other people so that they too would know the beauty of God. For those out there that need to hear God's word, for them to understand that God wants to celebrate their conversion just as much as he wants and did celebrate ours. Listen to this, and I'm gonna, some of you may not know this, but I'm probably dating me and everybody else. Illustration on love. When Chuck Colson was serving his prison sentence after the Watergate scandal, his newfound faith was severely tested. His wife did not understand the born-again business. His son was picked up on drug charges, and Colson himself was despondent, meaning sad. But God met him in his misery. 
a group of Christians in Washington, including Senators Hatfield, Hughes, and Q, were praying for him. Senator Q discovered an old law that allowed an innocent man to serve a prison term for another, and Senator Q volunteered to serve the remainder of Chuck Colson's term. Colson turned him down, but what Colson had experienced was true love, true love for all the saints. And Charles Colson was again refreshed in the reality of his faith. I believe that when you read the Bible thoroughly, you can't help but to read that God has and still does love the unlovable. If we can be real for a moment, I, I don't think that I would go and serve somebody else's prison sentence unless there was only about three hours left and they promised me some chocolate. I, I don't think I would do that. Part of me is embarrassed to say that, too. I, I don't know how much of the prison sentence was left. I, I don't know. It doesn't say. I, I would probably find out. But regardless, Senator Q really volunteered for that. And Chuck Colson said, I mean, would you, really, would, you, would you really do that for me? And I'm thinking that, man, how do we get to a point in our lives where we can really say that we would lay down our life for someone else the way Jesus commanded us? But if I, if I can't even go serve a couple of days or a couple of weeks of somebody else's prison sentence, how am I going to get to a place where I can get to a place where I'm willing to die for someone else? That, that's not enough. That, that is a very tough thing. And most of us will never even have that opportunity to be put in that place. I get that. So how do we look at that on a day like today? And how do we uh, see what Paul was celebrating with the Colossi church? Again, their love was for everyone. When you look at Epaphras, uh, you, you, you can't help but to look at his life. And, and that's the verse I just want to close out with here. I think sometimes the roadblock for us as a church is sometimes we get so irritated with one another. And, and it's with the great hopes that there would be others that would come into the church and see that we loved one another and we celebrated one another in such a way that it, it became contagious. That people would say, man, I, I can get something from here that's really beautiful. And through that process, they would learn more and more about the beauty of God, right? Because think about it. I mean, I think I even came to Christianity with some selfish reasons at the beginning. I, I think we all do in some way. I think God takes those immature prayers like, Lord, God, I believe in you. I want to be a millionaire in 10 days. <laughs> and I wasn't. But I think that God was answering some of the most immature prayers that came from me because he was allowing me to see his beauty and his goodness, all the steps along the way, his patience with us. So I think that the same for us, that we have to have a love and a patience towards one another so that when the outside world comes in and sees it, they say, wow, they're loving one another and they're loving upon me even in lieu of my weaknesses. And, and, they're, and they're showing me grace. Again, Paul was celebrating this church because of their faith in Christ. Remember, the object of the faith is where it holds its value, and it was, it was faith in Christ. 
and then they had a love for all the saints in the church. Let's be reminded how this church got started. Verse 7, just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant, he is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf. On your behalf. Epaphras heard something, heard the gospel, took it back to his town, and he couldn't withhold it. There was the power of God inside of him, and it was to be released so that others can experience that. And sometimes I'm thinking that, well, all right, so how do we do that on, on, on today? Well, I think one of the ways that we do this is that we love each other first and foremost. And by the way, Scripture teaches us that the love that we have for each other is supposed to be greater than our love for the unsaved. Now, we don't know if those people out there, if they'll be unsaved until Christ comes back. So we're to love everyone with the great hopes that they would hear the gospel and be changed. However, God is saying that you are to, spo- you are to show extra love, grace, and kindness for the family inside the family. That's first and foremost. So we'll take that, we share that with others. And I think that sometimes we allow the fear get in the way of sharing that with other people. I think that God puts these circumstances in our way all the time. We just have to look for them. So as I shared before, my daughter is in Liberty University. She's going into her third year of college and she is doing wonderful and she just became RA. Now, for those of you who don't know what RA is, for me it means the world because it's a lot less money I have to pay for tuition, right? So I'm, and my daughter's like, well, dad, I, you know, I want to do it. I did. And she, she's just doing great. And she's like, you know, I'm going to do it. I don't know if I'll do it for the senior year. Please, no, no, no. Let's not. Just stay right now. Let's stay in the fact that you love it, right? But she says, dad, you know, the, the thing with RA is that, you know, we, you know, we have to help out other girls. And, and she was, a, she was a, a floor counselor for her second year. She's doing wonderful. And she's like, I could really use a car. Okay, we're going to give you mommy. So me and Renee were calling up dealerships looking for a new car. By the way, a pedal bike right now is about 110 grand, right? <laughs> so I've always dealt with, with Healy up in Goshen for numerous, a lot of our vehicles and work trucks and things like that. No, many of you know I have, uh, we have our own business. So I've, I've dealt with them a lot in the past. So a couple weeks ago, I called them up. And all through the years that I've called them up, you always get this like a slew of like probably 10 or 15 girls that work the phones. And every time you call up there, the first thing they do is say is, hey, it's a great day at Healy. How can I help you? So me, I just figure I like to pass time on. I know I'm going to wind up spending money. I want to get something in return, right? So I'll try to have a little fun. So I'll ask the girls, can I ask you a question? They go, Yeah. Before you pass me on to the salesman, I want an honest answer. Is it really a great day at Healy? I mean, is it really a great day? And I've gotten the craziest answers. I've gotten, yeah, it really is, to this place, I hate it. I don't want to be here no more. My boss, let me tell you what my boss did to me this morning. Right? I'm like, oh, my God, if this was undercover boss, they have no idea what they're in store for. About three weeks ago, a month ago, I called up again, got a girl on the phone, and she says, hey, it's a great day at Healy, how can I help you? And I'm like, ah, let me do it again. I said, let me ask you a question, is it really a great day at Healy? And there's a pause. And I'm like, oh, she hung up on me. Maybe she heard, maybe, maybe it was one of the ones from the last time. And then I hear, like, breathing. And I said, 
Hey, you still there? I said, hey, I'm asking you a question. I want honesty. Is it really a great day at Healy? Well, I want some junk. Give me something. Give me something. And she starts crying. And she says, no, it's, it's, it's not a great day at Healy. She says, my whole life has fallen apart. It's not a good day any day for me. And she's bawling on the phone. So I, I take this time and I, I share with her about Jesus. I said, I... I I, I know maybe what you're going through or how you're feeling right now. I, I was there too. As a matter of fact, many of us are until we come to know who Jesus is because Jesus is really the only one that can soothe that pain that you're feeling. I, and I, I don't know the detail, the exact details of what you may be going through, but I can promise you this, that there's hope. There really is. And so I talked to her for about maybe five minutes and I gave her our church times and I don't know if she came to church yet. I don't know. But what I do know is that she had winded up, she got my phone, my phone number from somehow, and she sent me this long text. And she says, you have no idea of what you said to me and what it saved me from. God used you today to bring a word of hope into my life. And I think as a church, I think sometimes that we overcomplicate evangelism. I think that. Maybe you would disagree. I think that we do. And God is putting these circumstances right in front of us, and it's just to be ready and willing to share the hope that's inside of you with someone else. That's, that's really what it is. And God is saying, listen, if, if you, I want you to love my son the way that we're loving you, and that's really impossible, by the way, because God's love is greater than anything. But, but God is saying, I want you to celebrate my son. I want you to love him. We love you so much. And we want you to celebrate that amongst every people that you go around. Yeah, you're going to have days where there's trials and sadness and, and all these other things that kind of bring us down. But through that process, just like Paul told the church of Colossae, your faith and your love for the brothers and sisters is because of what's laid up, the hope that's laid up for you. What hope are you living by today? Is it your job? Is it a new car? Is it the next vacation next week? Those things are good. They are. But God is saying the hope that's only going to refresh you, the hope that Paul was giving to the church at Colossae was the hope that only Jesus can give. That's hope. I want to read one last thing word for word, and that's going to bring us to the table, and our worship team will come up and help us out. I wrote this. I wrote... There are so many reasons for us to celebrate. The beautiful hope that we have in seeing Jesus and going to heaven to be with him forever is truly a powerful force in the Christian's life. When we begin to think and realize the joy that we shall have with him in heaven, it only causes us to love him more and more. Have you ever watched how children react days before Christmas morning or a few days before you're going on a family vacation? The faith and love that we have towards one another in Christ should make up the present day more enjoyable and the hope of our future more and more exciting. So let's celebrate together that we are God's holy and faithful ones, that we are brothers and sisters with a common father. Let's celebrate that God's grace has been freely poured on us and let us celebrate that God has given us faith in Christ love for all the brothers and sisters in the church and a hope laid up for us in heaven and let us, let us celebrate that God is celebrating us.
as we come to this table, we see bread and we see juice in place of wine, the cup. And this table is a gift from God to bring us the spiritual nutrition that we need. As Jesus was holding up the bread that had holes and stripes in it, it reminds us of the torment, the beating that Jesus went through by human hands. By the cup, the juice in place of wine, we're reminded of the blood that was spilled from the body of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins. And, and the disciples really didn't get that that night. They really wouldn't get it until after their eyes would see the pain and suffering that Jesus would go through. And it would really be later on that they came to the understanding that, wow, it was really God's, God the Father's anger and wrath that was poured on Jesus. That was the real punishment. Because remember, in the book of John, Jesus teaches us, don't be afraid of the one who could take your body and hurt it. Be more fearful of the one who could take your soul and cast it into a living hell for all eternity. That's really what we're to be afraid of. And that's what we're being protected from by faith in Christ. We're being protected from the devil's schemes, and we're being protected from God's wrath that's on its way. And for that, and that, and that in itself, should be the greatest causes for us to celebrate that we're one in Christ. So let us pray. Father in heaven, Lord, thank you for this moment. As we join here at this table, almighty God, we know that these elements hold no magical formulas, nothing magical in them, but rather the bread and the cup. We ask that if you would use them to be set apart for a holy purpose, and the purpose, almighty God, would, that we would be strengthened by what we see and what we remember and that the Holy Spirit would seal that and that we would be reminded of the love that you have for us in and through the sacrificial death of Jesus Christ. So thank you, almighty God. We pray this. We do ask this in Jesus' name. And Lord, let us also be reminded from 1 Corinthians chapter 11 that Paul told the church, if any one of us take in an unworthy manner, that it, we bring judgment upon ourselves. So it's in this moment that we know that you, wanna, you don't want to keep us from the table, but you want to bring your children to the table. So I just want to pause for one moment. And Lord, if there's any one of us, me included, that need to bring something before you now to make this moment right, to be right in your eyes, bring that to our attention now. And I pray that we would bring that to the feet of Jesus. Let us do that church with one moment. Let us just bring before anything to Christ. Thank you again for listening to today's sermon. For more resources and information about Goodwill Church, visit goodwillchurch.org. God bless.